Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. One of the things I like to look at just for entertainment are Facebook ads where people in the marketplace are listing their own things. And it's like, hey, this, is, this truck, last time it was parked, it ran great. Now, it's worth 4000 but the transmission doesn't work, and that's a $2,000 repair, so I'll, I'll sell it for $2,000. And you're thinking, how do you even know that thing works if you can't drive it? Like, everything works but the transmission. It, it's great. It's like, yeah, sure, I, I believe that. You know, trust is so hard to gain, and sometimes it's so hard to find something you can put your trust in or someone you can. You know, it's interesting, even in trials, people have to swear to tell the truth or they'll be committing perjury. Because in order to get justice and get the right thing done, you also have to have people telling the truth. That's why that one was in the Ten Commandments, that someone won't bear false witness against their neighbor because the truth is important. But in our culture, it seems like lying is second nature for some and and many groups. So we deal with lies all the time. But interestingly enough, there is something God cannot do. And that sounds weird to think, well, I thought God can do everything. Well, God can't do everything because God cannot lie. Scripture says that God is not a man that he should lie. And so because what God says is true and what God says he will do, he will. And that's ultimately what faith is. It's trusting in what God says, and it's trusting that God will do what he says he will. Even, and I think this is the case with Abraham here, even if it takes a long time. Now, before we jump into Genesis 15, we need to look at the background a little bit of where we've been. Uh, Abram was told by God to move from where he was to the land he was going to give his descendants. And he trusted what God said, so he did. And God made him three promises that he would give him many descendants, that he would give those descendants a land, and through that, he would be a blessing for all people on earth, which is ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. And Abram... Uh, Abraham is 75 years old when he receives that promise, and they don't have a child yet. So you would think the first thing that's going to happen is these old people are going to have the baby because, you know, that there's only so many years left, and, and so they better have the child soon. Well, he moves, he's obedient, he trusts God. In all the things you see that he's worshipful. Last week we saw that he rescued his nephew Lot, but he was responsible with his wealth. And he gave some to God, and he, he also didn't accept some from a king that wasn't very good. But now it's been about 10 years. He's 85 years old. We see things in the Bible chapter to chapter, but I would think even though he'd heard from God, he would say, when is this promise actually going to happen? I mean, a decade is quite a long time, especially at his age. So it says in Genesis 15, After this, and that's rescuing Lot, his nephew, it said, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So notice what he says. God makes him this promise, don't be afraid, I am your shield. And we don't know why, what Abraham's fear was. Maybe having rescued Lot, he had feared some sort of retaliation that might come, because that's usually how those things went. But this is the first time that it said a vision, that he saw in a vision that that word is used. And often, as we see when God appears to Abram, and also this time in this vision, it is usually very pivotal moments. I think sometimes we have this idea that in the Old Testament or in the Bible, everybody had visions and was hearing God's voice, and that's not the case. There are a lot of people not recorded in Scripture that knew God but never heard His voice. But in these pivotal moments like this, Abram has a vision, and it is the first time used in Scripture that he has this vision. And so some think, well, we should have visions and all these things today. But Scripture is pretty clear in Hebrews 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. So the Scripture writes, now that Jesus has come and that third promise to Abram has been fulfilled and that all people on earth have been blessed through Him, which is talking about Jesus, and we have Scripture that the past God spoke in these various ways, but He says in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, that that is the ultimate message that God is giving us is Jesus Christ, through whom everything was made. And because He is God in the flesh, He was part of creating the earth in the universe. So now that God has fully revealed Himself, it shouldn't be our expectation. We can't say what God will do, but our expectation shouldn't be, hey, I'm going to have visions, I'm going to have dreams, and God's going to speak to me in His plan of, you know, what He's going to do. I can't say what God will ever do, but for the most part, it's trusting in His Word and moving in faith. And so Abram receives this vision as he's part of this promise in this pivotal part in God's plan for all of mankind, even us today, and he gives him a vision. But Abram is most concerned, again, the the first part of the promise. I don't have a child, and the person who's going to inherit everything I have is a servant in my household. What, What can you really give me? God's blessed him in all these ways, but he says, the one thing I really need is a son. And I think he's referring to, God, you promised that 10 years ago to an old man. I think it's a reminder that faith is not a one-time decision. It's not just something that happened in the past. And I want to—I made this confession years ago before the congregation, I'll admit it again, that back when I was in college, there was something I did that I'm not proud of. And I'm going to blame my wife because she's largely responsible, and she's visiting her father this week, and she's not here, so I I have at least this day to live by giving up this information. But one thing we did on our lunch break, uh, 
we had kind of this time between lunch and class, and so she had this show that she used to watch when she was in high school, and well, I started watching it with her, and it's called Days of Our Lives. <laughs> and so I watched Days of Our Lives, and if I'm honest, just brutally honest, I got into it. I knew the characters. But one thing, as a student studying theology and doctrine and scripture, there was a word that came out a lot in that, and that was the word faith. I thought they they talk about faith all the time, but they never really attached it to God. They really, it was just, they just had to have faith. And I was like, what, faith that the script writers will come up with something crazier than, you know, last week? And what's going to happen? Like, what is their faith in? And that's the thing, that faith is only as good as what you put your faith in in faith for faith's sake. They were just believe things will work out, believe the best. And you know, it's great to be positive, but you can't really put complete faith and trust in something that you can't even really identify. That's more hope is what they were talking about. But faith is confidence, it's trust. And our faith in God is not some one-time decision. It's not a prayer you said at 10 or 12 years old. It's not just a step of baptism you took and and you had faith and that's it. It's not just a sacrifice maybe you made at one time trusting God and saw how he came through. It's not just a time you stepped out of your comfort zone and did something you felt the Holy Spirit leading you to do to serve or to do something for his kingdom. Now, those are great moments of faith and they're great steps of faith. But faith is choosing to trust God's Word every day, to trust that God will do what He says He will do every day. And we can choose to trust or we can choose to worry. And understandably, Abraham's a little more on this worry side. It says in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And here's a pivotal verse in all of Scripture. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he, was, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So this is a, f- a foundational understanding of our salvation and what faith is that by trusting what God had said, Abram hadn't done anything. He simply trusted when God told him that he will have a son coming from him. He trusted him and it was credited as righteousness. He was given right standing in God's eyes. That's our salvation. That's what's unique to Christianity. That's what, to me, proves of all the religions that every other religion is a system of works, that you earn it, that you do this and you can deserve to be saved or you can earn it. But we can only be saved by trusting in what God has done for us and ultimately by trusting what Jesus did for us on the cross. And when we have faith in that, we are given right standing with God. That credited as righteousness is repeatedly quoted in the New Testament by Paul and James as an emphasis to understand how we are ultimately saved. Our salvation is a gift. It's by grace. It's given to us by trusting what God has said He will do and what He did through His Son, Jesus, on the cross. Now in verse 7, it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. 
But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, reading this with today's understanding, that just sounds kind of random. How, hey, Lord, how can I know you're going to do this? Bring me some animals. Like that, you might be kind of confused, but in those times, they understood what that meant. Today, if you want to make a contract with somebody, you'll, you'll write it down. If you want it to be good, you'll probably have some lawyers put it together, make sure everybody understands what's going on. Then you'll sign it, and if you want to make sure there's no wiggle room for them to say they didn't sign it, you might even have a notary there when you sign it to record that both parties signed. And there, when they made a covenant or an agreement, this was a practice. They would make this sacrifice, and they would split it, and then they would join hands and walk between the pieces of the sacrifice. And I think what that emphasized that this isn't done lightly, that it wasn't a spur of the moment, that none of them can say, you know what I really meant was, oh, I didn't understand what you were saying. They went through all this in order to make sure we agree on what's going on, that there is no miscommunication. And so that's the seriousness in what God is doing to show Abraham that his word is true. And he's impressing that on Abraham because nearly a decade has passed. And you've got to understand, no wonder he starts to question. I mean, it's been a decade and, and God's been faithful along the way, but he still hasn't seen the first step of that promise. So in this, God shows the reliability of, of his word and his full intention of keeping the promise. Now, when we think of, of waiting for something, you know, we might think of waiting for a package from Amazon that, that we're tracking and then it's not there and we wonder what happened and we're waiting or you're in the line at the drive through at McDonald's for breakfast and, you know, you're waiting and you're impatient, but this is a long time of waiting. And we have things we seriously are, are waiting for that are much more urgent. Maybe you're praying for a child who's out of the house to return to God and, and to surrender and start to come back and follow his will. Maybe you're praying for your marriage and for things to happen, and but you don't see a lot of answers. Or maybe you have some type of medical condition or some diagnosis that you're that you're praying, and you're just uncertain about what's going to happen. Or it's financial, and, and you're praying, and you just don't see much progress. But here's the thing: through all those, and I don't know how God will answer those prayers or what the result will be, but what we know in that is that God is good, that God can be trusted. And Jesus, in his prayer, if we remember before the cross, he said, not my will, but yours be done, that that's the model of faith. That if we're in situations, you know, we don't have visions like Abraham that this and this are going to happen. But when we're in those, all we can do is do what Abraham did and that is, trust what God says, to be faithful in doing what we know we should do, and to trust in God's goodness and His wisdom above our own. But that's very difficult. It says in verse 10, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God makes promises, and you can see God has fulfilled every one of these promises in detail that he said he would do. God fulfills them. And you basically have the outline of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy in this vision of what is going to happen up till the time they enter the land in Joshua. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. So there's this fire and smoke, both images of God's presence. If When he leads the Israelites out of Egypt, he's, a, he's fire at night and it's a cloud of smoke in the day and they follow God's lead. So that's him signing the contract, going through affirming his promise. Then in chapter 16, we see the consequences of doubt and impatience. It says, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So maybe she's thinking in her mind, well, maybe this is how God is going to do it. We don't know what's going... So she makes this suggestion that he take her maidservant and have a child with her as a, as a surrogate. And that was a very common practice. Apparently, they had never done that, so they had problems with it. It was culturally accepted. And that's what we have to understand is just because something is a common practice or culturally accepted doesn't make it right. And it's not the way to getting what we think God wants for us. It's amazing all the things you hear. Well, God just wants me to be happy, and that's the idea of what God wants, but it means I have to do this and this, which are clearly what God doesn't want, that go against God's Word. We don't have to go around God's Word to accomplish His purpose for our life. In fact, we won't find His purpose for our life by going around His Word and His will. But we see all the time those decisions. Well, maybe we should live together before we get married. It'll save money. It'll do this. And it's all practical, even though we think, but this is the person God wants me with. We have to be faithful to what God says. And it says in verse 4, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
So I think as we look at this, even though it's Sarai's idea, it's really another moment of a bit of failure for Abram. And I think even though it's failure, it should be encouraging that in the journey of faith, we don't always get it right. We are not perfect. We sin. She made this suggestion, but I would say, husbands, you've probably been in a situation where you're going somewhere, uh, your wife is getting ready, and maybe there's one time that she took a little longer than normal to get ready. And so maybe as a kind gesture, you reminded her of the time and when you had to be there, and she's trying to get ready, and she just said, just go on without me. Now, from years of experience, I will tell you, do not go on without her, okay? That is not what she means. If you actually ever did that, and I don't know any guys who actually did that or were that dumb, but if you did that, you would be in such a world of trouble that you would never want to deal with that situation again. What she is saying is, leave me alone so I can get ready, and then we'll get out of here, but don't go. And it would have been better for Abram if when she made that suggestion that he said, no, that's not God's plan. We're going to trust in His will and in His way. Or no matter what, I love you even if we don't have a child. We've got to trust God. You're enough. But no, Abram says, okay. And so you think maybe a bit of lust and sin played a part in Abraham's decision there as well. But it leads to a conflict that is still going on today. Because we'll see, she has a child. The child's name is Ishmael, and he becomes the father of some of the Arabs and is seen as the father of Islam, whereas Judaism comes through Isaac. And even though this is written thousands of years ago, that conflict is still going on today in the Middle East and has a huge impact in our world. You won't read other religious literature from things going on that they said happened that are still having an impact today. And you can see where the root of the issue goes back to. So Sarai complains, hey, my servant, now she despises me. Well, why might that be? I think it's because she's, you know, been forced to carry this child And then she's going to have to give it up. It could also be that now she's carrying the heir, Abraham's heir, and Sarai can't. We don't really know what happens, but she goes to Abram and complains, and he goes, well, she's your servant, do with her as you will. So he kind of washes his hands of it again. And Sarai begins to mistreat her. And so even though she's pregnant, Hagar runs away. But while she's on the run, it says an angel in verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. See, again, the the roots of the conflicts in the Middle East and so much conflict down the road and in Scripture are from this decision. But even in this, God shows that he cares and he loves Hagar and Ishmael. 
that he goes to her and lets her know the promises of the future, but also he tells her she has to go back. In the same way, that step of faith begins with a command. So you go back to your mistress. And it says when Ishmael is born that Abram is 86 years old. But I love Hagar's response. It says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I now have seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. You see, she would have grown up in this Egyptian culture with all these different gods, but the God that she knew always saw her. And I know that we're all born with this understanding. It's innate that there is a God. And she goes, you know, I've now seen the one who sees me. And we see God just doesn't care for the main players, the ones who seem important, even a servant girl, Hagar, who's on the run and could have been insignificant. God takes care of her. And it's not just the Israelites, but the purpose of the Israelites and this promise to Abram is so that all people would be blessed, not because they're his favorite people, but so all people would be blessed through what he would do through Jesus Christ on the cross. And he goes to this young girl, forced to have a child, and he makes her a promise, but she has to trust and take a step to go back. And I'm sure many of us have a time in our lives where we've run from God and we've gone on our own, but there was a point that we had to take a step back. And God brought us back and reminded us of His promise of what mattered and who Jesus is. It's also a reminder of no longer, you know, no matter how long you've prayed, how long you've waited for an answer, that God is faithful, that God is good, that God can be trusted. And even in the season of waiting, those are the things that we know. You know, I've been in seasons of waiting and and seeking God's will and seeking something. We all have. And that's why this text speaks to me, that God can be trusted. We don't have to do our own thing in our own way to make it happen. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.